Welcome to another episode of the Still Legit podcast, the podcast where we take all the things bringing you joy and comfort in the lockdown and we tell them everything that is wrong with them in light of current events. I am joined today by a wonderful guest. He is an amazing stand-up. He is one third of sketch group Pappies. He is also the director-in-waiting of the 2019 Egg Show that never happened for many obvious reasons, it's Tom Parry. Hello. Thomas, Thomas, Thomas. I like that. I'll tell you what I like about that is a show that never happened has such a good chance of mythical status. And, like, I think in our minds, if that show never happens, we, like... We know that was going to be the greatest show that's ever been performed at the Edinburgh Festival. And, 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 you know, we'll never know that that's not the case. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's how we'll, we'll just, we'll put it on our CV as such. Yeah. You know. The great lost show of 2019. The potential was literally endless. You know, (laughs) boundless potential with that show. (laughs) Production value so high. Budget. Massive. The thing that spoils shows is them becoming real. Mm. I think, like, I've just written, I've just finished writing a script, and like, in my head, I'm like, if this script gets made, it won't be as good as what it is now, which is pure potential. Can't be. (laughs) There's nothing more disappointing with any dream that you have than making it reality. Do you ever dream about some sort of delicious food? Like, I. Okay, so you know you're walking down Oxford Street <laughs> in the old days. Back in the um, good old days. Back in the good old days, we could walk down places, <laughs> and <laughs> there was they'd have those like tr- carts that roast nuts or kind yes. of like put honey oh, in cows. Smell, the smell. The smell's so good, and you occasionally be like, "Fuck it, I'm going to buy some of those delicious," and then you'd eat it. No, Ugh. terrible. Yeah. Terrible. Same, every other day I walk down the road. Yeah, never. But the hot they dogs. Stand by, they stand by the tube station because the air gets sucked down into the tube station. So as you're coming up the tube, you smell. So before yes. you even hit Oxford Street, it's the smell of hot dogs. It's the smell of nuts. And then by the time you see it, you think, oh, do you know what? I've been thinking about those. <laughs> and yeah. You, and that's how they do it. But they're yeah. de- you're absolutely right. Sh- yeah, the ideas of great shows... The smell is always better than the taste. Of the show. <laughs> so true. And on that note, we're going to start this show. Yes. <laughs> Tell us what film you picked, Tom. I have chosen a film. So my sister, I should say, is two years older than me. Consequently, she called all of the shots for like the first... Well, who am I kidding? She still does. But for all my <laughs> life, really, my sister's called the shots. So my experiences of falling in love with films were watching the films that my sister loved and wanted to watch with me and we consequently became addicted to. And one of those films uh, that I've chosen today is the 1987 film Mannequin. Oh, my God. Such a good choice. It's been on our list from the beginning. And I don't even think that I had seen it, but I knew that we had to do it. So I was really yeah. glad that you chose it and you had a relationship. I was delighted with it. that it was on the list. I, I picked it before <laughs> I saw the list and was like, "Oh, here we go, brilliant!" 
Because I haven't seen this film for about 25 years. Yeah, easily. Um, so rewatching it was a, a real, like a proper rediscovery. And, yes. and constantly moments of going, oh my God, yes, that moment, that moment. And realising just how important a film it was to me as a child. I mean, we'll talk about it as we go, as we go into it. But uh, yeah. Did you have, did you watch it a lot as a kid or was it something that... Yeah, it, it was the it was the perfect sweet spot of you know when you're ten or so or eleven and you just watch the same films every mm. Saturday morning, every Sunday morning. So I remember we went through a six week holidays where we watched um, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom like five times a week. We'd get up at seven o'clock wow. before the house got up and watch Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, and, and our brains wouldn't tire of it ever like do you remember that age where you're like yeah anywhere between like eight and 12 you just do not tire of watching the same films over again this was firmly yeah. in our repertoire of films so we must have watched this uh, you know easily 20 times so you had like a vhs of it yeah that's right yeah and uh you know <sighs> amazing the, the the kind of the smell and the noise uh, <laughs> speaking of smells of shows but the smell and noise of a vhs machine that's something that oh I, you God. know, it's just like, there's a certain smell um, when the VHS yeah, is gone for a while. It's warming and, up. And also like these noises of like the whirring and the like, the click. When, mm. they, when it's ejecting and going in um, and, and, and watching this film, this kind of, I had this kind of, you know, prudy and kind of like I could smell, I could hear that, you know, it took me right back to a, to a time of my childhood. It was great. Oh my God. Well, I can't wait to just tear that to pieces that's going to be great yeah here we go here we go and i hope some of our listeners will find that happens for them too um (laughs) um, just for anyone who hasn't seen it do you think you could sum up the storyline in a nutshell and i literally could in a nutshell as well because the elevator pitch for this film i mean it is a a one sentence pitch pitch and that's it it is man falls in love with a shop mannequin that comes to life Bosh. I mean, <laughs> like that's the there's the film. That's I'm it. Like, yeah, that and, and it doesn't. You know, don't go trying to think any more than that because there you go. Yeah, guys, and, like, if you're thinking, if you're looking for some sort of deeper meaning here, <laughs> you're not going to find it. Also, what I love, this is one of the reasons why I was sad Emily couldn't join us for this record, was they based that scenario in the container of the time-honored '80s thing of. <laughs> two rival department stores they're just obsessed with <laughs> department stores in the 80s <laughs> owned by eccentric old like random yeah. people who have no rhyme or reason for the way they're running their business but they're multi-millionaires so absolutely there's the there's the villainous successful department store Illustra. <laughs> and then down the road you have kind of this charming old-fashioned run by a, a quirky old lady yeah. who's like we're about to close um and you know because of because of this kind of love affair that happens between a man and his mannequin they start making these incredible window displays uh, that somehow turn around the entire fortune of the department people come to watch the windows if they come to watch they'll stay to buy they'll stay um, to buy and yeah. illustra i mean illustra what a name. I just it sounds like a contraceptive pill, doesn't it? Yeah, it really or like does. a brand name for Viagra. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, uh, and you know, it, it, what we're looking at here is prime kind of 
this is the 1980s in a... You know, oh. If you could have a jab of the 1980s, this is like yes. injecting the 80s directly into your veins. My you know, God. it's it, you know the, the the drama plays out in board meetings and kind of like there's there's industrial espionage between yes. these two department stores. It, it's it, there's it, so it, there's it's, montage the montages again. Emily's obsessed with montages. This was a montage to. To end all montages, but we're getting obviously getting away yes. from ourselves. Why don't we do? We'll do a really quick check in. You're right. Okay, Tom. I know we basically did a bunch of catching up before we started recording, but are you right? We did such a big catch up before the recording. We should say, and I, it was only after five minutes of catching up. And I went, oh, I should have been recording this. We do a section of this. It just feels so unfriendly to just be like, oh, yeah, this, this, how are you, mate? Haven't seen you for a year. It's just goes straight into the podcast, but should have done it because there's been some big life things. It's a really good time for me to be doing a podcast like this because I've got a four month old daughter and the best to die for i mean an incredible set of cheeks um (laughs) what um what i didn't realize about having a baby is it gives you prime like uh, basically i've watched more films i'm back to the kind of level of film watching that i was when i was a student i don't think i've ever Mm. watched more films than since i was a student because when you've got a baby you just have this car, like you're up all hours. Time kind of stops meaning anything. Um, you add lockdown on top of that. And what it means is, you know, I've been starting Kevin Costner films at half past four in the morning. Yes. You know, I've been like, and, 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 and you just, because I'm, you know, I'm up with Gloria and Gloria normally sleeps on me. So like, she doesn't sleep very well in the cot, but when she's just sat on me, she sleeps really well. So that's my excuse to sit up all hours. I make that myself is like the baby, by the coffee. way. Yeah, yeah, I should say. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> she just sits on me and she just goes to sleep. So my mother-in-law really needs <laughs> comforting. I, um, <laughs> I make myself a litre of coffee at like midnight and then, you know, see what happens basically. And there is a certain feeling as well of when you have a new child, particularly in the first kind of four to six weeks, you want to show them the world. You want to be like, Look, here we go. This is this is what this is. This is what this is. This and is Kevin Costner. Well, exactly. In, <laughs> you know, in lockdown, when uh, you know, and when the baby's so young, you can't go outside. The way to do that is go. We're going to watch these films. We're going to watch the Untouchables. You know, like, we're going to watch the Indiana Jones <laughs> trilogy. Uh, you know, uh, and wanting her to hear Tom Hanks's voice, Kevin oh, Costner's yes. voice. You know, this is Julia Roberts. You, it's it's a it's it's a really fun game to play with yourself, kind of talking your newborn child through old movies that you love well i guess it sort of reframes i i don't know so i don't because like it reframes your experiences it's like getting into a new relationship and suddenly you're like this is my favorite film and now i share it with you and now you know that this is my favorite film yeah so you're giving her the education 100 percent. yeah that's it so you know it is weird. Gloria's four months old, and her favourite actor is Kevin Costner. So you know that's that's something we share. So that you know she's she's taken after dad in that regard. I'm really glad that you're starting this early because Emily admitted on the last podcast that she can't tell the difference between Kevin Costner, Mel Gibson, Bruce Willis, what? and someone else who was even more. What was it? What? 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 I know. The Horseman of the Apocalypse. <laughs> I know. 
the legends of the game. I know. And she and she hosts a film podcast. Is this yeah. allowed? Is this allowed? Yeah. This is the problem with podcasts, you see, because of this lawless free-for-all, the, the, the wild west of, of the entertainment world. Exactly. Someone who can't tell the difference between Mel Gibson and Kevin Costner has their own film podcast. This, is, yeah. this just will not stand. I know. I know. She's, she's filling the Carl Pilkington sort of (laughs) corner of this podcast i'm really keeping the wheels on the podcast (laughs) Um, yeah she she just was like this is mel she kept up to remember it was mel gibson in what women want but yeah kevin costner education needs to start early so that she can start differentiating important stuff well i think we should just jump straight in because there's loads to talk about we already did all our catching up before i started recording the podcast yeah yeah, absolutely (laughs) Uh, sorry about that it was really juicy stuff, listen. It was really it juicy. It was stuff really well. juicy, and it was for my ears only. First time you've ever watched this film, then? Yeah, I believe so. I was like, oh. Great. A star turn from Kim Cattrall. Oh, my God. And she's so. You know, sometimes you see a young actor or young actress, and you're like, oh, I see how they've changed or they've grown or like their face has changed or, you know. Kim Cattrall, 34 years ago, is the exact same Kim Cattrall as today. Like, I can tell she's older, obviously, but, like, her acting style, her face is exactly the same. Damn. She's consistent. She's fan... Yeah, she's fantastic in this film. So assured. It it, it made me wonder, kind of, like, what she... Like, I I feel like she... I mean, like, between this and... Sex and the City... Sex in the City. Why wasn't she a huge film star? Yeah. Because it feels like she's got everything needed to be that kind of whatever. You know, I'm trying to think of the people who did it. Like, you know, maybe it's like Julia, Julia Roberts, Roberts or Sharon Stone yeah. or people like that. People who everyone was oh, talking Sharon about. Sharon Stone like a, a is such a good show. Playground. Yeah. And it's like she should have been that really. And I'm, you know, it's a, it's so good that Sex in the City kind of gave her that kind of recognition. In slightly later on in her career because wowee I mean like it is a you know she's just got charisma to burn she right, really right really sequence. does yeah she's just got it you know she's just got it yeah it's so true like I'm just looking at her um there's not that much I mean she is like yes she has worked since then but not in the way that you would maybe think yeah, not that's it exactly. It's kind of like not as kind of like the headline name of the film yeah. where she's like the lead of the films. Yeah. Um, but and, and what she really shows in this is that she can be that person. She can carry that film. She can be the kind of starter. Yeah, definitely. And she was, and now I'm just looking at it, she would have been 30 at the time and she started working. I think she's almost too good for, <laughs> for her co-star because... Oh, 100%. I mean... It's one of the big. It's one of the big issues with the film. We should. I mean, like, well, let, let, like, so, the, so the film opens with this um, Egyptian straight um, away with some cultural appropriation, like, like uh, really strong stuff. Wow! Well, I'll tell you what, that that is. It's really fun. I mean, that's a bit that was never problematic for me as a child. No. I just thought, oh, here we go. We're in ancient Egypt. And then you kind of, you come straight in and you're like, oh, okay. This is, this is because, you know, it's it's two kind of white American women as Egyptian princesses. Very white American. Of. Just really <laughs> leaning into the Americanness of them. 
being but, 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 but she's wrapped up like a mummy so in a tomb that's what makes her a Egyptian. yeah and and they're just um <laughs> they're having this conversation essentially to try and create a mythology around Kim Cattrall's character when she comes to life as a mannequin that she's a, a really ambitious forward-thinking woman in the time of the pharaohs and she kind of makes a pact with the gods to to leave that place. She doesn't want to marry a camel dung merchant because uh, she doesn't love him. Slightly judgy about she, camel she dung merchants, to, I think. She, well, exactly. And that's one of the big problems <laughs> with the film, I think. Uh, <laughs> the way it misrepresents camel dung merchants, <laughs> which is a legitimate trade, you know. Exactly. Uh, People need dung. Agent. It started and I turned to my wife and I kind of said, oh, this is good, actually. This is quite, this is a feminist, this is quite a feminist start. This is very positive. You know, she, she doesn't want to marry for business, you know, for business. She doesn't want to be married away in an arranged marriage. And so she prays to the gods and the gods disappear her through time um, until she can find the right person to marry. So at the start, I kind of thought, oh, okay, hello progressive stuff actually yeah but it doesn't play out it doesn't play out that it's way. really and and it's a shame i kind of push and pull with it because part of the reason why the, the film is so, such an easy watch and really enjoyable is because you actually there's lots of things going on and you don't see a will they won't they with the mannequin kim cattrall and the um the guy what's it, the guy's name uh, Jonathan Switcher. Jonathan Switcher. Switcher! But it's and, it's Andrew McCarthy, isn't it? Isn't yeah, it? Andrew McCarthy. The actor. And they just straight away, as as soon as they're, she becomes like, like he kind of gets over the fact that the mannequin's turned into a human, she's basically like taking his fucking trousers off from the get-go. It's so well, it, sexual. It's, what, what we're dealing with is we're dealing with uh, yeah, and and that's what I realised when 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 rewatching it was rewatching it and realising oh this is probably my sexual. It's quite interesting. I chose to revisit this film because it's probably my sexual awakening. Yeah, as a kid, I'll because, bet. You know, it is actually very it's sexy. Very sexy. There's a lot of sex going on, and I I hadn't seen stuff like that before yeah. and for, yeah but it, what 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 it basically turns into and this is kind of where we're going to get into the kind of the problems of it yeah. is it's, it's kind of muse fantasy isn't it that's what uh, she becomes 100%. this kind of fantasy figure and she literally has the line where she goes oh i love your hands they felt so good when you created me. exactly and, um, and you can just he, you know, the, the guys writing it must have just been thinking, "Oh yes, this is this is the perfect." I know, right. and we've dis- yeah, and so- we've discussed this before on the podcast of like, not only is she the definition of a blank slate in terms of being a mannequin created to his exact specifications uh, that he is very creepily obsessed with from the get go, but also he's like, she is a stunning woman with legs for days and just glorious and gorgeous and he is this weak chinned complete loser you know like genuinely i'm like he's he's fully got acne like we're just all fine with that again that is fine it's just amazing that we would i mean that's it 
I'm going to play. De- I'm going to play devil's advocate slightly here. I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, but I just want go to make, on. I'm going to make one point because I feel like I feel like we we should have a bit of push and pull on this because I think <laughs> I, I think we know which way the cards are going to are going to fall basically. <laughs> but just in the interest of trying to bring no a bit no of balance, no no go no go 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 for it. It's a rare it's a rare case where the leading lady is old is the older woman and for for a Hollywood film. That's quite cool. Like Kim Cattrall's thirty, yeah. and Andrew McCarthy's twenty-four. Yes, and she is the kind of he's kind of he's a bit lameo and inexperienced and wet, and she is definitely kind of like she she's the one. She's in the, the inventor. She's, she's the, the one with the with her head screwed on. Yes. She's the one with. The, and but I agree with you, but what, and I do agree with you. And there is a nice dynamic there where he does kind of like, he sort of idolizes her. He doesn't like, he's not like, you know, a lot of the other men in the film are kind of like the way they act around women. And we will talk about his ex-girlfriend at some point, because that's so problematic. But um, poor Roxy, poor Roxy, Jesus. Yeah. He's like, really is in awe of her and sees her for her talent and her skill as well as her being gorgeous. There's not a lot of him like fawning on her in a sexual way in the way that a lot of other men, you know, he seems to really respect her in that dynamic, like you say. But I would also say... Uh, it's a big but. It's, uh, You're right. it's just It's just we have so many, especially <laughs> 80s films, where you have an everyman character for the guy. You know... I, I started watching Teen Wolf straight after this because um, I got um, I got a M- seven-day trial of MGM on Amazon Prime so I could watch this. <laughs> so if you guys want to watch along with us. Um, By the way, the the MGM channel on Amazon Prime is perfect for this it podcast. It actually like, is. There is so much fodder for this podcast on that channel. <laughs> I was like... I, I turned it on and I was like, oh my God, I could have picked that, 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 yeah, that. Yeah, it is really good. And I think probably some good... Um, lockdown three viewing for you guys if you want to get involved but yeah started watching Teen Wolf and and I was like wow Michael J Fox Andrew McCarthy even Tom even Tom Tom Hanks being the most handsome of this handful of you look at the Brat Pack Tom Hanks in Splash exactly the same Tom Hanks in Splash where he gets Daryl Hannah, this like, yeah. absolutely worldy mermaid falling in love for. And it is the 80s fantasy. The 80s fantasy is this average Joe, this nerdy kid. And like Andrew McCarthy is a failed sculptor. And the opening sequence is a very funny opening sequence, but he can't hold down a job, yeah. right? So he can't, you know, he can't, he can't do gardening. He can't be a pizza because he's got this artistic Bent. Yeah, that's kind of the the cell. Yes, uh, and what you uh, basically is a right the, the writer. It's like watching a writer's wet dream. Yeah, exactly. Basically. That's what this film is, and that's how. It and that's plays what out. the '80s was. But because no women were writing, or they certainly weren't writing from a female gaze, you never get a specky, spotty, overweight <laughs> female yeah. getting a fucking you know Adonis yeah. come to life. It's always. This guy gets the super, this like average Joe gets a supermodel girl and um, <laughs> he really does. And he, yeah. um, so think about like um, Dudley Moore in 10 yes! as well. Like it's just Dudley like, you know, like it's just like kind of films, Poe, Derek and Dudley Moore. You put just... those people together. And of course and it, it is a nice thing to think like people should and can be loved for not just the way that they look, but because it's always the other way, it's only going in that one direction. It's still saying, 
But the women need to be like absolute blonde goddesses. And we can just be average guys and you guys should. I mean, there's a whole, there's a whole incel. There's a, there's yeah. a sort of inception of incelness in that. But we won't go into it. What, what, what makes it, what makes it exactly that as well is he is a guy who, and I, I, I only remembered this when I saw it, but when you're 12, you think the coolest thing in the world would be to keep on wearing bowling shoes yeah. every day. And he's a guy who does that. And it's like, oh God, there's nothing cool about that. This is a guy who he wears bowling shoes all the way through. And it's like, he's kooky. He wears bowling shoes. And yet he's pulling Kim Cattrall in, in like, 100%. You know, like the four, like, and, and like, we will talk about Roxy. He's, um, well, I, the the villainous ex-girlfriend who's also a really stunning, strong, yes. independent woman who's like more successful than he is. And, and like she's the villain because at the start she's like, can't you just hold down a job? Exactly. Because it's exactly what you're saying about the bowling shoes because we, we are sympathising with him because he is terrible at everything that he does because he's like no I just want to do it my way I want to take four hours to make a pizza and we're meant to feel bad for him that he can't hold this Mm, come on like she's completely (laughs) right it's also worth flagging he lives in an amazing apartment. Amazing it's, it's, apartment. It's so funny phrase. Oh, the 80s. Like oh, he's, this, 80s. he's this loser who can't downhold any job and he's driving. He's driving this brand new Harley beautiful, Davidson. Beautiful, right? shining, like beautiful red. Beautiful red Harley oh. Davidson. And she's and, meant and, to be embarrassed well, by the end it. Of the o- <laughs> so at the end of the opening sequence, he pulls up to pick up his girlfriend, Roxy, from outside her job, which she's doing very well at, and having to put up with horrendous sexual harassment in the work. Constant. And he pulls up on this beautiful red Harley Davidson, and her, she goes, oh, that pile of junk. Yeah. <laughs> you like, uh-oh, she's the villain. Yeah. And she's like, why can't you have something with doors on it? And it's like, well, he's driving a brand new Harley Davidson. Who is this, Who is this character? It's not like, <laughs> like he's turned up on a fucking... T- Tandem bike, like hop on the yeah. Back. So, so like the things that make him kooky are that he he wears bowling shoes, he wears a leather jacket, yes. but he drives a brand new red Harley Davidson. He lives in this incredible studio apartment with a grand piano, a grand never gets, piano, not a baby grand, <laughs> never gets a full grand. Yeah. So it's like, I thought, oh, there's going to be a scene later where Kim Cattrall shows that she can play the piano. No, 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 no. We won't ever go back to that apartment again. We'll just have it there. And uh, Yeah, the know, designers it's just, it's just are just like, having a nice time doing whatever the fuck they want. Um, so we might as well talk about Roxy a bit now because... We should. We absolutely should. She, this was probably the big thing for me was that she seems to exist, A, to be a, the villain... And they do try and give her a little bit of light and shade. You know, she feels bad at one point. Oh, this could ruin his life. But essentially, all that happens to her is men try to grossly sexually abuse her. That that Italian workmate of her of hers, Armand, Armand, yeah, the the co- the co- the comedy pervert who's kind of like it's played for you know it's this kind of gross Italian. I mean, well, we, we, yeah, it's a film full of stereotypes. We should say, and the the two kind of grossest stereotypes for better or worse there's there's uh you know there's armand the italian pervert, and there's hollywood and there's 
Hollywood, Hollywood Monroe. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> um, who we'll get to. It yeah, we'll get, we'll get to, to. Don't worry, we'll get to. <laughs> but um, Armand is this kind of, Roxy, you look foxy. And he's kind of like fawning over this woman. And, you know, obviously in the first few scenes, you kind of go like, oh God, poor Roxy. And this is this is where that's going to play out. And then kind of halfway through, she gets upset and he says, I think you should just sleep with me. And she goes, fine, okay, let's go. It's <laughs> you're like going, what? Insane. Oh no. Because not only are we, we're covering like some genuinely horrifying sexual harassment from him in this Super Mario offensive Italian stereotype because he says stuff like, oh, I've always wanted, and this is literally how he talks, it's, it's ridiculous. He's like, oh, yeah. They're, they're, they're locked in a shop together. No one knows that they're there. And he's like, I've always thought it would be so sexually romantic to ha- make love in the middle of a shop. And then he goes, he does a hip thrust towards her, go, can I show you something in your size? And like starts undoing his trousers. And she, and all of her reactions to him more than one occasion going to take his cock out at her is her like yeah. whacking him being like, oh, oh my. I told you, stop it, stop it. In her like New Jersey accent, like, come on, give it a rest. But I'm like, he's about to flop his dick out at you. Yeah. He's going it's to. A, it's, a, it's appalling stuff. And then, <laughs> appalling and like stuff. you say, then when she finally is like, I mean, not to go to t- bring it into such a dark space, but it's essentially, it's the thin end of the wedge in terms of like rape culture where he's just been so relentless to her and she's around her him all the time that she, he catches her in a vulnerable moment and she's just like, fine, let's go and do it. And then he can't get it up and he blames her. Yeah. He can't get it up. Says you should be more like a mannequin. Yeah. I mean... The- it's your fault. You're so cold. That's what he says. Mad. You look at what Roxy goes through in this and her boyfriend who can't hold down a job. And lets her down on more than one occasion. So he's, he's relying on her. Lets her down, stands her up, uh, keeps getting fired. Then he, he he starts seeing this. He starts saying, right, well, this mannequin's coming to life. So she's like, go and see a psychiatrist, which is what he should do, by the yeah. way. He's a man who's seeing a, a mannequin dummy come to life. You know, like what? She doesn't do anything wrong <laughs> like she's just like and then she's trying to save him at the end by destroying the mannequins which i think you would do because you know he's in this kind of very very unhealthy place he's in love with a man and, with a um, doll yeah yeah and at the end she the film finishes with her being dumped on by a load of rubbish and she's in the rubbish and there's this kind of worker who sees the good mannequin come to life and get off with our with our lead and so he's like oh that's what i want so he starts trying to get off with mannequins to bring them to life he finds roxy in the rubbish starts kissing her she comes to life and like you know doesn't want him to be kissing Weird. her and like, hits him ungrateful and it's like oh god this one's not as good as that one yeah just yeah. like it's just like a and, and he doesn't stop as well she's like literally going oh stop get off me yeah. and he's like no I'm gonna kiss no, you no this is my mannequin I can do whatever I fucking want to it and then yeah. as Kim Cattrall and David McCarthy leave uh, so Andrew McCarthy leave they see that happening and they're just like sayonara bitch now you've got your just desserts. Like we're just going to leave you in this um, in this basement room with presumably a man who is going to sexually molest you. Bye. <laughs> so what the Bye. fuck? Yeah. In poor Roxy. Insane. Insane. Yeah. Yeah. 
and, and like uh, and again her crimes at the start are kind of um, like ambition yeah like you know she seemed to be someone who because he's a sensitive artist successful. yeah she wants to be successful professionally she wants to end up managing the shop and that's seen as kind of like that's her wicked quality and yet is uh, ambition exactly and yet what we're shown is that he gets rewarded, nonsensically rewarded for doing nothing to do with the job in hand, aka jumping on a on a swinging sign that saves that happens to save the eccentric old lady owner of the shopping center. That gets him a job in the first instance. Kim Cattrall magically making a window display that gets him promoted. You know, all of the things that happen to him, promotion-wise. So he gets to be vice president through... He becomes vice president. Vice, should, vice president, president. For no fucking reason. You know that guy who's dressing the windows? Vice, vice president. president. <laughs> you know that girl who's worked really hard and, and worked her way slowly through the corporate structure, fending off sexual harassment every which way? She's the villain. Every step of the way. She's the bad She's one. The she shouldn't get promoted. It's like <laughs> he hasn't done anything. And then later on, our eccentric old lady, who's great, by the way, who's lovely, a great actor. Oh, Estelle Getty. Yeah. yeah. She's brilliant. Fantastic. Brilliant. And, and it's a really nicely written part. I it mean, really is. Yeah. But she then yeah, arbitrarily fires the hilarious security guard and James Spader's character. And you're like, wow, (laughs) you actually shouldn't be in charge of this because you're giving (laughs) jobs and taking away jobs with no sense. There's no, there's no rhyme or reason. You are crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's a reason her store is struggling. Yeah, exactly. Do not trust this woman. She doesn't know what she's doing. She clearly doesn't know what she's doing. (laughs) We should say one of the big red flags on this film is uh, I don't think we've made the case enough yet that Jonathan Switcher the character he falls in love with the mannequin before it comes to life yeah you're so right so it's not this isn't the story of a man working a shop and then a mannequin comes to life spooks him then they get to know each other and he falls in love he he and and he's in love with her because he's created Mm -hmm. her so he he models this woman he creates her. He's a sculptor. He makes this shop mannequin. I don't think, by the way, sculptors sculpt mannequins. I'm not sure that's yes, how it Yes, I think you could be You could be right. He did seem to just be taking a head off a rack, an arm off a rack. And he was like, I can do four of, I can maybe do four of these a week. And his boss is like, you should be doing four or five of these a day. And I was like, at least, at the very least, you're just putting together but parts. This is, yeah, this is his work of art. So he's assembled this woman his dream woman and he's in love with her and he wants to take her with him when he gets fired perfectly <laughs> normal perfectly natural Roxy, yeah when Roxy kind of is frustrated with him for losing yet another job and his motorcycle breaks down he sees her in the window and he's like oh my god there's the mannequin that I love I need to be clear be near her so he applies to the shop for a job like horrifying that's 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 horror. That's dark stuff, isn't it? That is dark stuff. And and he plays it really well in this kind of like he is obsessed with it, with the mannequin, and there's no real rhyme or reason apart from as you say, he just created his perfect woman. That's it, and he's not yeah. willing to like. And so did the writers. Yeah, exa- exactly. <laughs> yeah. And and the writers yeah. are very quick to dismiss the woman who's like, hey, should we talk about the fact that you can't hold down a job, you have no money, and your one form of transport can't get us from A to B? Uh, no, boo, what a bitch. Bore off. Bore <laughs> off, you bastard. 
so, um, and, and, and the, I think the, the real missed opportunity, and that's what I kind of sensed what rewatching it is that opening sequence feels like it belongs to a slightly different film, a, a better film, mm. where you know she's she is this kind of fiercely independent woman who is trying to find a worthy man, and you know what what is frustrating is the opening sequence is kind of when the credit the opening credit sequence is an animated kind of Kim Cattrall travelling through time to get to the eight trying it all on for size so to speak you know yeah trying it all Mm. on size so when she arrives in the 80s this is a woman who you know she's dated Christopher Columbus she's hung out with Michelangelo she's picked up loads of things along the way so she's she's effectively this kind of like but all-seeing kind of traveler yeah a real renaissance woman all of human history she arrives in the 80s and she uses all of that experience to fall in love with this 20-year-old who wears bowling shoes and inspire him to make window dresses. And let's be honest, the window displays, they're all right. They're okay. But they're not, they're okay. I mean, there's this shop in um, Edinburgh. I don't know if any of you listeners have been to the Edinburgh Festival, but when you walk over into the new town, if you ever have to walk to the stand, yeah. there is, you walk past a, dep- a department store window that has the most sensational yeah. Yeah, and they change it kind of it gets changed three times during the festival and every time I walk past it it used to make me think of that <laughs> but it is better than the windows in Manic. oh yeah and like, like obviously time has passed and so on but at one point it's just three mannequins with a um, standing with one taking photos like on a slightly swiveling thing and I was like not only is that really boring but also the crouching mannequin who's taking the photos is obviously a human man it's not a mannequin at all (laughs) and I think that's very problematic when you've posited a world where only one mannequin comes to life you're like oh do we have to make another mannequin in a weird position we'll just use Barry (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> nah, well, Barry, Barry's good at being still. But you're right, they're, they're um. not that imaginative. And you're so so right as well. Like, she didn't want to be in the Italian Renaissance. She didn't want to be in um, Egypt at the height of its power. But yet she wishes to become some sort of weird slave to corporate greed and consumerism yeah. and take no credit for herself. And like you say, immediately... There's so many ways around it. Like, I feel like she could have come out and been like, oh, I'm finally going to make something of myself and you're going to help me and then fall in love with him. Do you know what I mean? There's lots of ways that that... But instead, as soon as she sees him, she's like sexual innuendo and she does that really amazing... She does this amazing thing, like a little acting trick. I was like, oh, interesting, Kim Cattrall, where she looks, whenever they're close together, she looks at his lips a lot. Like when she's looking at him... 70% 70% of the time she's looking at his lips like oh my god I'm gonna I'm gonna devour you and then she'll I mean, look up lovingly in his eyes and then look at the lips again so straight from the beginning uh, it's really funny you say that because um, my <laughs> old uh, my best friend from school um, has recently moved back to the UK he used to live in Texas so we've been texting each other a lot about the olden days and he said um, do you remember your old technique when you were trying to chat up girls the parry technique, look at the mouth, then look at the eyes, then, look at the mouth, then look at the eyes. Oh! It's like he said, you always used to say, that's what you do when you're, when you're trying to chat up a girl. You'll be talking to them, but you'll look to their eyes, look to their mouth, look to their eyes again. Uh, so, oh my again, God! Maybe that's where it came from. <laughs> I can't believe it. Maybe, 
Yeah, that's just, I'm genuinely just made me blush just even you <laughs> bring that see. up. So I'm like, oh my God, the parry technique. We, he said, Great. you remember the parry technique? And I was like, oh my God. I was taking tips from it. I was like, that is so, you can, if someone looks at you like that, you're like, wow, this person is so into me. They are. Re- I mean, take take that advice because I'm telling you, it, it does. It does. It does. <laughs> you heard <laughs> take, it here first, take guys. That, take that with you, mate. <laughs> take that with you. You're welcome. Tip off you go. Of the podcast. <laughs> wow! Wow! I'm so um, glad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and and you know, it is worth saying. Catral is sensational in this so film. Great. She lights up the screen, yeah. and she is she's so sexy and so vivacious and so full of life. But the 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 writing of the character doesn't catch up with mm, that. Like, no, she doesn't. Like, the, her big dream is to fly, and she fl- she paraglides, or just, like she finds a hand glider and kind of hand glides one of the big sequences of the yeah. film. Yeah, she hand glides down the sort of central well of the department store. <laughs> yeah, marveling at Absolutely. what at all the things she could see. In the department store. <laughs> in the department store, exactly. Really um, lame. But, um, you know, it is it is a real missed opportunity because, she, you know, they set, they set this character as someone who could be so much more interesting than just a muse. And then it, she is almost like a cartoon muse. Yeah. Who, uh, there's, this, <laughs> there's this one bit where they, co- they finally consummate their relationship and they're lying in the middle of the store having uh, had sex and they're under these kind of fur coats. Yes. Post-coitally. And she says, what are you thinking about, Jonathan? And he's like, the window. Yeah. And she's like, it's really good tonight. Mm. And she's like, yes, it is. And it's like, what? Yeah. You've just had you've just had sex with the immortal Kim Cattrall, yes. who has lived years and years. The spirit of a four thousand year old woman embodied in the mannequin you uh, designed. And it's like, no, no, I'm just thinking about the 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 window display that we did tonight. It's really good, this one. And she's like, it's all you. And like, it gets this stage in the film where he starts to be like, I've got to do the window without you. And she's like, you don't need me. You just, it's you. It's all you. You can do it without me. And he's like, yeah, I can actually. And I do. And I do when he does. It's like, there isn't any part. I thought, here's the bit of the film where he starts to fuck up because she's not with him. That doesn't happen. Yeah. He still, he just bosses it and she just gets nicked. And then he says, I mean, essentially, (laughs) if you boil it down in a certain way, you're basically saying that a useless guy who cannot hold a job down has no qualifications in the area walks into a job through sheer <laughs> luck and and uses the skills of a gay black man and a woman that he hides from everyone else to achieve his ultimate dreams of becoming vice president <laughs> Finally, there's the tagline. There's the tagline. Because they both, they both, Hollywood and her, are facilitating his kind of megalomaniac rampage. through uh, um, to the top you know this this feels like the perfect time to read the audio description of the film um that comes with it and it must have been please please tell me this must have been written in 1987 in many ways emmy is the perfect girlfriend pretty and poised with a perpetual smile and she never talks back sure she's a department (laughs) store dummy but jonathan doesn't seem to mind Oh, oh my god! My yes, god. it's like the most toxic paragraph I've ever yeah. read in my life. And that's what they're putting up as the film description today, twenty twenty one. It's still there. That's what they're still totally there. happy with. And and actually, when I was looking on the Wikipedia page, the um, the poster for the film 
the main tagline of that is some guys have all the luck. And then it says, when she comes to life, anything can happen. But it's this main thing of, hey, some guys have all the luck. Some guys get this yeah. fucking blow up doll that comes to life and they get to have sex yeah. with it. My God, it's, that's it. And you think about the way things, you know, you think about the way things are now from 1987 with the kind of like sex doll culture mm. and sex robots and this kind of thing and you know this is what what we are watching here is kind of like your prototype sex robot fantasy really yeah yeah absolutely um, well i do yeah. and and <laughs> i know i mentioned incels before and i know that's taking it to a real extreme but the mentality what really bakes my noodle with the incel mentality is that they are men who are saying Oh, you women, you are just interested in the hot chads, in this, in the hot, empty-headed, muscular men. Why aren't you interested in me? I'm an average guy, but I'm often a lot more. So, so far, yeah, okay, fine, there are shadow women. But then they go, I don't want a Becky, aka an average-looking woman. I want Kim Cattrall. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, so, yeah, yeah. That, you know, and so you're like, but you just said, so... But you literally just said you shouldn't just be shallow. And so what you're saying is I'm an average man and I deserve the perfect woman. But you guys can't aspire to that. You should want uh, me. Yeah. Only I'm allowed. Only we're allowed to be shallow. Thank yeah. You Look much. at all these films. You shallow. can see that that's how it's meant to be. You're meant to appreciate me for my brain and I'm meant to appreciate you for your body. That's the rule. Um, so I think it's really kind of, you know, just planting those yeah. seeds. <laughs> But I mean, I mean, if 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 you want to see, you know, I think let's not expect too much from the writer because the the writer director uh, Michael Gottlieb. Um, uh, what I, what really makes me laugh is this kind of. Um I read this right. So, uh, what you'd like to think is, what are the themes that we're going to explore here, or where did they get this idea from? That what does it mean that they can blow? It says the idea for the film came when director Michael Gottlieb was walking past a shop window and thought he saw a mannequin move. Oh wow! <laughs> so you know, it's not. It, it, it didn't come from that deep place. I don't think they were worried about overthinking this too much. Yeah. You're right. We should talk. You mentioned about how, you know, the lead character gets a success from exploiting the work of uh, a gay black Let's man. Let's talk about and, Hollywood. Uh, <laughs> and this time as well. Let's talk about Hollywood, uh, Hollywood Montrose because an incredible character, we should say. So great. Um, now, yeah. And I, I, you know, again, again, I think obviously. It's a very, it's a very overt, stereotypical portrayal of oh, yeah. uh, a, a gay black man. I mean, I'm going to, you know, defend it in so to, to a certain extent because um, certainly speaking as like I don't know a ten year old kid in the West Midlands in 1990, this was I'm pretty sure this was my first experience of seeing homosexuality on the screen and it's and, and it's very it's, i thought he was going to be a super super side character but he's one of the main characters and a real a real comic hero of the film yeah. and has some very funny lines is is completely outrageous and it's completely uh preposterous but to see a gay black man on the screen being extremely successful yeah whilst doing so and sympathetic he's actually re- I thought really, really refreshing, and you know, it's it's a it's it's kind of the star turn of the 
film and i think i haven't seen the sequel but i do no, know I, I think hollywood's the only recurring character oh interesting so like i think hollywood kind of went into you know a, a bit like french he did in yeah Greece and Greece yeah too. yeah but it's so but you know obviously it's a very stereotypical uh, portrayal of kind of like uh, over the top kind of gay stereotype and there are some horrible lines in there like he gets called a fairy by us i mean there's, yeah there's or a few, mary at there's, one there's, point. There's, <laughs> the little mary yeah, has a friend well, it's interesting when when he gets called a Mary, he gets called out for it by being a for being a bigot. And you know, like yes. the lead character says, "Oh, you're 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 a horrible bigot or whatever it yes. is." There's a there's a slightly more chilling line later on, which is played for laughs, where he says, "Who?" Someone comes by and says, "Who's he talking to in there?" And he's like, "It's either the vice president, the fairy, or the dummy." Or the dummy. Yeah, and like, and like that's kind of played for a laugh. Uh, in the wrong direction definitely ultimately I would kind of say it feels like there's a lot of laughs in the right direction in this area I think the two main problems that I had with it was because I felt very similarly to you like overall even though it's a bit clunky and it's a bit reductive so are so many of the characters in the film so it's not more or less that Um, and it's very sympathetic and he is he is actually fabulous. Like his outfits are amazing. His glasses are amazing. So I was like, okay, great. Yeah, yeah. But there were two things. One was that there's a slight thing and it's, it's quite not, it's undercurrent. It's not overt. There's a slight thing with um, Jonathan around Hollywood, which is like, this guy is too much. Like this guy yeah. is slightly dismissed because he is over the top outre, I'm fabulous. I'm Hollywood Montrose. I'm this, I'm that. And sometimes Jonathan can be a bit like, okay, calm down now. Like, you know, a little bit like that. Just be normal for a minute. Let's just all just, let's just all be normal. And the, I guess the other thing, and again, it's very, it's, it's kind of, you know, I have to dive into it a little bit to get here, but that he's being used as a way in to normalize Jonathan's obsession with the mannequin he is the he's the root into that right so he's the one who's constantly saying hey man you do you but he but it's it's sort of i I do me and it's equated i mean i sleep with men so you can bum that mannequin it's kind of like yeah absolutely right it's kind of like well we're all we're all weirdos around here aren't we i'm gay and you fuck a mannequin it's kind of like whoa 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 Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, well, so right. while obviously the overall sentiment is actually a really nice one, like we've all got our quirks and let's just accept ourselves for who we are to equate being gay with, with being with being in love and fucking a mannequin. It is slightly different things. Absolutely. Yeah, you're, abs- <laughs> you're absolutely right. Um, and it does, I mean, it does bring us to that. The, the, there is a really troubling section of the film, which is when Andrew has become vice president. So he's kind of cock of the walk in the store. And by that point, he just walks around with his mannequin under mm-hmm. his arm and he goes into store cupboards and bathrooms the women's toilets and everyone crowds everyone crowds at the window and listens or, or crowds at the door and listens to a guy and what they're all doing is going well he's fucking the mannequin there and everyone's like that's our vice president <laughs> yeah, I know. 
Oh, well, you know, business is good. Everyone's like, well, business is good, so we let him do that. Yeah. And you kind of go, oh, God, and there is the toxic culture that we have to live with now. It's like, well, as long as money keeps rolling in, we let him fuck anything in the in the store. Company. Yes. You know, like it's, yeah. not like, it's really Everyone grim. Everyone knows it's, really it's grim, happening, but grim. we're okay with it. We all know. We all know it's happening. That's our vice president. I <laughs> said, so what are you going to do? And it's like, um, oh, God. They find him, <laughs> don't okay they? With they this? find him under a pile, a presumably a priceless pile of um, of furs alone because she's gone, this is right at the end when she gets kidnapped as a mannequin. I did have a slight sort of logical problem with that where I was like, as soon as she's out of sight, she kind of knows what's going on. So why doesn't she come to life and do something instead she just stays a mannequin the whole time? I don't know. Maybe he has to be there in order. I don't know. I was just questioning the... Oh, of course he has. Of course, yes, he you're has right. To be there. He is her life force. I'm stupid. For I mean, without, without him, I mean, she's, she's nothing. nothing. She's just plastic. <laughs> she's just a blank piece of paper. Um, but she, he wakes up alone from the, in this naked in a pile of yeah. priceless fur coats and surrounded, which will be covered covered, covered in jizz, like wall to wall jizz. And uh, those furs are ruined. Right? <laughs> Have you ever tried to get you? Have you ever tried to get you? How? If I had a penny, nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and he's surrounded by a ring of executives, hundreds, it seems, all enthusiastically clapping him, applauding him awake. They applaud him. And I was like, "What are they?" And they're like, "Oh, genius." Genius. And I thought maybe, oh, they were going to go, what an interesting, you know, in that sort of like Empress New Clothes way of going, this is a great window display that you've come up with. Oh, it's so inspired. But no, they're just going, a naked man has <laughs> some furs. No, this naked man, it's so brilliant. Perfect, perfect. Yes. <laughs> so bizarre. <laughs> he can do literally no wrong. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's total wish fulfillment by the writers. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and then and you know, I think we 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 nudged at it at the beginning, so we should definitely talk about. Well, there are two things this film really has going for it. I must say, is that montage oh, in the middle, my... the "Do You Dream About Me" montage, God. which is just it's essentially just a dressing up sequence. Uh, it just plays out as this kind of male fantasy where it's a series of kind of well, they're just having bloody good fun in a department store and that must gadding have around. taken such a fucking long time to film all of those bits <laughs> but that that's the amazing thing about it the commitment to the montage again in the last episode we did what women want and um we were very disappointed with the quality of the montage it was just a woman going into a changing oh. room and putting on an equally nice dress oh no and nothing this he's a f- if you're going to do dressing, yeah, full. If you're blown. going to do dressing room montage, you've really got to try and change it up a little bit. They're doing. They're basically doing is, uh, yeah. like a, a, a rock music video. You know, every, every frame, I was like, Kim Cattrall in my rock music video right now, please. That's all I want to see. I want to see her doing. Yeah. And then she's, she's a nothing short of sensational. Yeah, she's like a mafia wife. Like a, they, they do a little mobster scene. Uh, it's incredible. <laughs> just <laughs> incredible. Just stuff. worth seeing that. But it's never. It's it's always for the camera's benefit. The slightly weird thing about that montage is like they're never really interacting with each other. Like my wife said, they're they're not they're not doing this for each other. They're doing it for us. And it's like yeah, that that whole sequence is just like that, they're they're performing to the camera. Such a good to, point. It, you're not watching two people have fun together. It's like it's 
out. It's really it's such it's a, a good really point. Weird bit of and the film. I do sort of think if there's one thing about Kim Cattrall that I would say, oh, she's very, she's got a very performative quality. There's almost yes. there's almost like a dancer quality to her where every move is. And this would be a great freeze frame. And this would look really good. And if I say that, you know, which slightly takes away from like them having an intimate connection. It's perfect for this film, but that's, it's slightly, it's very out. It's very totally. out. Totally. It's very, very, it's very out. It's exactly right. You don't feel like at any point the director said, can you just dial it down just a little bit? <laughs> Like, no, I don't think that ever happened. No. I don't think it was ever. Let's just, you know, let's just split the difference. Just bring it down a little bit. I don't think that conversation ever happened. No. Um, and then the other thing you should say, which is, uh, you know, this film has absolute dynamite at the end. It's a brilliant song at the end. Nothing's going to stop us now by Starship. I yeah. Mean, absolute anthem of the late 80s. And we <laughs> build this dream together. No. nothing's gonna stop us now and of course nothing is gonna stop him now because he is a man in the at the end of the 80s and everything's gone his way and what what is gonna happen to her because i thought we'd then get a moment where he would be able to you know that was an opportunity to say this is the woman who's really she is the one actually but instead he's just like this is my bird and now we're getting married in the window again that thing of like this must be what she wants it's okay he continues to put her on display yeah she's getting married to him so there she gets it isn't that what she always wanted so yeah and and like it, it's hard to find out kind of at the end i i had a i had a quick look um you know, I was trying to read round certain bits in the film, and there was one thing that said at the end of the film, Jonathan risks his life to save her, and so she realizes he's worthy of her love, and that's why she can now finally stay as a human in front of other people's eyes. And I was kind of thinking, that isn't what happens. Yeah, that isn't. Like, you're Jonathan, right. Jonathan doesn't doesn't really put himself at risk in trying to save her. Like she's the one dangling over the blades. I I I can't quite work out what that because like. It's not like he suddenly demonstrated commitment to her at the end of the film. Nothing's fundamentally changed. So the the, the film does seem to lack a story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like nothing changes enough in the kind of crisis. There's no real crisis bit for them to... What does Jonathan Switcher learn about himself yeah. or change about himself in order to earn the right to have Kim Cattrall that like Christopher Columbus didn't or anyone else in the past. It's like, she's just fallen for him more than anyone else. And that's which it. Was, which uh, was inevitable yeah, because he put her together and she was like really fucking yeah. sexually into that. As soon as she came uh, to life, she yeah. was like, wow, you put me together. Cause I don't know. You're right. Because and at they the put end, all... like, she's a damsel in distress. Yeah. And, and she, he she her. dangles. Oh, this is kind of what speaking to the point about Kim Cattrall being quite performative. Like, when she's dangling over the edge and she suddenly comes to life, she is silent. Did you notice that? She's just like, yeah. suddenly she's, and then she's just looking up at him. Just looking up and, yeah. Wordlessly and then trying to grab his, she's not like, oh my God, Jonathan, thank God, help me, help me. No, it's a silent moment. It's very bizarre. But they put all of the stakes into the storyline of the two warring department stores, which I would say is a side note, 
it's clear that two <laughs> department stores cannot survive in this town. Yeah. It's... Because either people are going all to one or all to the other, and that risks the survival of the other one. So one of them has to close. There you go. That's just economics. Yeah. Um, but they put all the stakes there, and they don't, like you say, have any stakes for those two. Obviously, yes, he's saved her from being shredded as a mannequin. Yeah, what is the fundamental change? There is nothing... I think even if she'd come to life and said, you know, just let go. In that moment while she's dangling, she comes to life. She goes, I've had a good run of it. I've had 4,000 years. You let me go. It's important that... <laughs> I've, had a, I've had a good <laughs> I've run. I've had a good run. You, you, I want you to be safe. You know, you're, you might fall in here. I want you to be safe. And he says, no, I would rather die with you. Yeah. Then you'd have that moment, right? And then you'd be like, oh, okay, cool. True yeah. love, proper stakes. But they don't. He just pulls her out like, poof, saved my sexy man. Yeah, he just what all he proves at the end is that he's stronger than he looks. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the big thing at the end. He's like, oh, actually, I can. I don't look very strong, but actually, I can. I can take your weight here and I can <laughs> lift you up. That's not enough. That's not enough. She's waited a thousand years for that. Oh my god! Come on. <laughs> Come on, value yourself more than that. Oh, I mean, a hundred percent. Listen, honey, you are worth something. You are worth something. Oh God. Yeah. Um, so there you go. So, but you know, I mean, do do I? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. It left me feeling. I, I must admit, I still really enjoyed watching it. Well, and I'm, there is a lot of personality in that film, and there's a lot to like. What do you say, are you, mannequin? Tom Perry, is Mannequin still legit? <laughs> I mean, I mean, are you allowed caveats at the end of this podcast? Yeah, you can caveat. Like, with the caveat. You can caveat. With the caveat that it is of its time, I think ultimately it's still legit. Oh, God, is that true? Can it be <laughs> I, No, it, it's still enjoyable, but it isn't legit. Right. I think you're right. And this is something that we have Evelyn Mock's library because we decided this first with her, that you can only watch a film like this if you really understand all the caveats. You're only allowed to take it out of her library if you're like, I know it's wrong. I know that the sexual politics of it are completely... I know that... But having said all that and being aware of that, am I allowed to take this film out of the library? You would be able to take the film out of the library. Yeah, that's okay. So I agree. It's so enjoyable. I... I really, I did really enjoy it, but ultimately not legit. I'd love to see a remake of it. Ultimately not legit. Yes, absolutely. Right for a remake. And I think something that really lent into the problematic element of it, that would be really interesting. But, Mm, you know, we'll have to work on that. Next next script. Yeah. Okay, cool. Is that how you finish all of these podcasts? By going, that needs a rewrite. (laughs) Let's talk to Tom (laughs) Parry about that. It's just such a trope, isn't it? And I think it would be so interesting to see a film that really, that kind of leads into it and then stops and examines what it's trying to do. Yeah. That would be interesting. It's just so, like you say, Splash, Overboard, we did recently with Freya. Yeah, like, it's just fantasy woman, yeah, kind of weird science, yeah. all of that. Yeah, absolutely. Would be really fun to even, even fucking Little Mermaid. <laughs> you know, <laughs> oh, we dig and we dig, but yeah, Tom, thank you so much. That was so fun. Yeah, thank you. It was a pleasure. 
you know, where can people find you and follow you? People should definitely check out um, your, your other podcasts. Yeah, I'm on uh, Twitter at Thomas P. Um, I do uh, podcasts with Pappies. Uh, you'll find us at Pappies Tweet. Uh, Pappies Flat Share we do. Yeah, and uh, I also do an American football podcast called Any Given Wednesday. So that's at Any Given Wed Pod. So, Big yeah. intersection of listeners to this show and, you know, NFL <laughs> <laughs> fans. Yeah, you never know. Uh, you never uh, yeah. know. <laughs> You'll see a big jump, I think. I think. I mean, it's yeah, safe yeah, to say. To All right. Well, I'm going to let you get back to Gloria's incredible cheeks. Thanks, Thank mate. you so much. Ah, oh, that was so enjoyable. Tom Parry, just a big old cuddly bear of happiness of a man. And... We haven't seen him for such a long time. Like I say, he was going to be directing our show. Definitely check out like Pappy's Flat Share. Check it out. Again, it's just some, if you want some good friends chatting to you over this lockdown. So enjoyable. And any of his work you ever get a chance to come across is just so joyful. And such a great film. Really good lockdown escapism again. Get that MGM, guys. Seven days free trial. It's wall-to-wall 80s bangers. So you heard it here first. In terms of announcements, guys, this is going to be our last episode of this current series. I hope you've enjoyed the series. And we, don't worry, we will be squirreling and working away at new episodes for a new series very, very soon. The hope and dream is that Emily and I will be able to find enough child-free times to bring you a series that is very Emily and Anna heavy. You have that to look forward to. I hope you would look forward to it. And we'll still be having some other amazing guests on to chat about their favourite not legit moments. In the meantime, guys, get in touch with us with, you know, if you watch something and you want to just drop us a quick voice note with a suggestion you want to drop us an email, it's isitstilllegit at gmail.com or you can message us and find content from us on our social medias, which of course is at stilllegitpod on Twitter and at stilllegitpodcast on Instagram. Thanks so much for having us as part of your listening lives. We really, really appreciate it. I really, really appreciate it. It was nerve wracking to continue the podcast without Emily by my side, you know, I rely heavily on our dynamic. Yeah, a big part of me was worried that people wouldn't be interested when Emily wasn't around. It's been really heartening that you guys have carried on listening and given us some really nice feedback about the guests we've had and mainly about my amazing intros, which I think we can all agree I've really been hitting out of the park. So yeah, I'm really excited for the next series, guys. Keep Stay tuned for that. It won't be too far off. In the meantime, keep it legit and happy lockdown. See ya. (laughs) 